You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 17, and we're going to be talking today about God the Son. But before we do, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, last week I asked you a trivia question, and the trivia question I asked was, who wrote most of the New Testament? Or maybe I could better say it, who was the most prolific writer of the New Testament? And most people think that the Apostle Paul is the correct answer. But the correct answer is actually Luke. Luke wrote the book of Luke, and he wrote the book of Acts, and they take up a major portion of the New Testament. Paul wrote most of the individual books, but some of those books are rather small. Luke actually wrote more of the New Testament than the Apostle Paul. And I promised I was going to give away a paperback copy of the Desire Jesus one-year devotional to someone who got the answer correct. So now it's time to announce the winner. And looking through the emails I received, the winner is no one. No one got the answer correct. So now, even though we don't have a winner... Uh, hopefully this will help you win maybe a trivia contest or it'll just be something that piques your curiosity about the New Testament. But Luke wrote more of the New Testament than the Apostle Paul. So that's just bonus today. But uh, throughout the course of this week, we'd invite you to stop by our website, desirejesus.com. We have a lot of biblical content there and some other things that we hope will be useful to you. And we'd also encourage you to sign up for our weekly newsletter. The link to do that is at our website, again, desirejesus.com. Now, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, today we are in Matthew chapter 16, starting with verse 13, and I'm going to read down to verse 17, and we'll be looking at a bunch of other scriptures today as well, but today we're talking about God the Son. So for the past few weeks, we've been asking the question, who is God? Last week, we looked at God the Father. Today, we're looking at God the Son. Next week, we'll be looking at God the Holy Spirit. But today, as we look at God the Son, we're starting with Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, and it says this. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at it together today. And as we look at the portions of Scripture that speak specifically of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray that we would understand these things, that our knowledge of you would grow, and that our appreciation of what you've accomplished on our behalf would be something that's solidified in our hearts. We thank you for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wondered what kind of impact your life is having on others? At some point, we've all probably given that question a thought. And the truth is, 
we all have an impact on each other. Sometimes we're good influences, and other times we aren't. Sometimes we impact others in ways we never fully realize. But every life can be impactful. And when we take a quick look over the course of history, we can observe the impact of some very influential people. There are people who made an impact in all kinds of areas, including the military, the arts, the sciences, theology, architecture, and even social culture. But there is no life we can point to that has had a greater impact on each of these areas and more than Jesus Christ. The earthly ministry of Christ has made a dramatic impact on this earth. We measure time in reference to when he was walking among us. His teaching and example influences how we treat one another, how we conduct ourselves in marriage, how we show mercy and compassion, how we care for those who cannot help themselves, how we respond to those who hate us, how we look forward to the future and how we spend the time we've been blessed with in the present. When Jesus came to this earth, he came with the goal of accomplishing all that was necessary for our salvation to become a reality. History prior to his coming looked forward to his arrival. History since his coming has been looking back at what he accomplished while also looking forward to his return. In fact, I believe that the key to understanding what the Bible is communicating is to ask, how does this scripture point me to Jesus? There are many people who understand exactly who Jesus truly is, and plenty who still struggle to accept him and what he taught. So, who is Jesus, and what work is he accomplishing? Well, as we ask those questions, one of the first things I want us to look at is the Son's role in the Trinity. So what is God the Son, Jesus Christ, what is his role in the Trinity? Let me reread verses 15 and 16 of Matthew chapter 16. They say this, He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. From eternity past, Jesus has always existed as the Son of God, or we could likewise refer to him as God the Son. He has always existed in perfect relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And his role as the Son is not just a title that he adopted during the course of his earthly ministry, but a key aspect of his identity that always was and always will be. When Jesus came to this earth, took on flesh, and walked among us, there were many people who debated who he was. Some people considered him to be the son of a carpenter. Others thought he was a troublemaker. Some thought he was a prophet and a worker of miracles. But Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was. Peter, who would often be the first person to speak up in the group, he answered Jesus, and he testified that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus affirmed the accuracy of this statement, and he also stressed that the reason Peter understood this was because God the Father had revealed it to him. I believe that brings up an interesting point that we should consider as well. If you and I come to believe that Jesus is God, we do so because that truth 
was divinely revealed to us. Naturally speaking, it's much easier to think of Jesus as merely a teacher or a historical figure. But if you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, like Peter did, it's only because your eyes have been opened to see that truth. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Well, not long after Christ's earthly ministry and the New Testament scriptures were complete, believers took time to clarify who they believed Jesus to be, based on what was revealed through his life and what was revealed through the scriptures. The Nicene Creed, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but the Nicene Creed was written in 325 AD, and it's one of the clearest statements that the early church formulated. It says this, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Scripture teaches us that Jesus is divine in nature. His role within the Trinity is one of eternal sonship, and he came to this earth as the long-promised Christ, Messiah, and Savior. Now, there's something else that we need to recognize about Christ, and that's the union of his divine and human natures. So one of the most fascinating aspects of Jesus to contemplate is his nature. By nature, he is divine, but he willingly chose to also take on a human nature when he submitted to the Father's will and was born on this earth as a man. Now he has two natures. He is 100% God, while at the same time, he is 100% man. Theologians refer to this union of his two natures as the hypostatic union. Jesus has always been God, but he hasn't always been human. Now, there are several places in Scripture that stress his eternal divinity while also speaking of his humanity. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and also verse 14, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And in John 8, verses 57 and 58, we're told this, So the Jews said to him, 
you are not yet 50 years old and have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Likewise, during the course of Christ's earthly ministry, he would often operate within the limits of humanity as an act of humility, as an act of submission to the Father, and with the goal of fulfilling all righteousness on behalf of mankind. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5-7, to we're told this, "...have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Just like the concept of the Trinity can be challenging to wrap our minds around, so too are the dual, forever inseparable natures of Christ. We accept this fact as true based on what the Lord has revealed to us, but it is fascinating to contemplate, and it isn't immediately easy to wrap our minds around. Now, with that in mind, it's also wise for us to take a look at the work the Son accomplishes. Not long ago, in fact, just earlier this week, I was trying to accomplish some outdoor projects in a short amount of time. And I needed to fit them around my work schedule and also an impending rainstorm. At least that's what the forecast said it was going to do. It didn't end up raining like they told us, but I was operating all day under the thought that later that day it was it was supposed to rain. Well, summer break has just begun for my kids, and so I invited my son to join me in the work I was doing. And while it would have been tempting for him to loaf on the couch and do nothing all day, he agreed to help me. And we actually got a lot accomplished, and I was happy to see him doing something productive instead of wasting the day. Well, when we take a look at what the Scripture tells us about Jesus, it tells us a lot about his work, the work that he's doing. Jesus, the Son of God, has a work he is joyfully accomplishing. Scripture tells us multiple things about his work including what he has already accomplished, what he's currently doing, and what he promises to do in the future. One of the earliest aspects of Christ's work is in regard to creation. Scripture tells us that all things were created through him. In addition to creating all things, he also upholds his creation by his powerful word. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 we read, "For by him All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 we read, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Another key aspect of Christ's work is his atonement for our sin. Through living the perfect life on our behalf and then experiencing death on the cross in our place, Christ paid for our sin. He took our condemnation upon himself. We're told this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, where it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 
Following his atoning death, Jesus rose from the grave. In his resurrection, he defeated sin, he defeated Satan, and he defeated death. And he offers the forgiveness of sin and eternal life to all who will trust in him as Lord. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4 say it this way, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. After Christ's resurrection, we know he appeared to people in bodily form for 40 days. Then he ascended back to heaven, where he's preparing a place for those who trust in him. In the future, he will likewise be returning to take those who trust in him to be with him. Jesus said it this way in John 14, verse 3. He said, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. At present, Christ has a ministry of intercession and advocacy. Satan is referred to in Scripture as an accuser. Satan points out our sin, and he casts shame and blame on God's people. But Christ, in his ministry of intercession and in his ministry of advocacy, sits at the right hand of God the Father and pleads our case like a defense lawyer. We are defended from accusation by Jesus, our advocate, who testifies to the fact that our sin has been atoned for by his shed blood. Romans 8 verse 34 says this, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And 1 John chapter 2 verse 1 says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus also made it clear that during this era, he is building his church. Millions and millions of people are being rescued from sin and condemnation through faith in him. He is raising up leaders, opening up doors for ministry, and blessing those who trust in him with his power. In fact, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus said, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Word of God also tells us that the day will come when Christ will return to this earth to rule and reign. He will show himself to be the King of kings and Lord of lords, and his kingdom will have no end. Revelation 11.15 says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We're also told that the day is coming when Christ will sit on his throne and judge the nations. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and 32 say, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, 
and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. It's fascinating to consider the work Jesus has done, is doing, and will do. It's also important to recognize that while we have the privilege to serve with him as he empowers us, we cannot do this work for him. He accomplishes what we never could, and as we serve him, he also invites us to confidently trust him to take care of what he promised he would. And there's one other thing that I want us to notice today about Christ, and that's this. Salvation is found in no other name. Salvation can be found in no other name than the name of Jesus Christ. Christ created us. Christ upholds us. Christ paid for our forgiveness, and he offers us eternal life through faith in him. If we're trusting anyone or anything else to save us, our trust is misplaced. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can offer us the gift of salvation because he's the only one who has paid for it. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 tells us this, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Let me ask this as we finish up today. Have you experienced the salvation that Christ delights to offer you? Are you walking in the power and wisdom of Christ daily? Is your outlook toward the future joyful because of the hope Christ has secured for you? Respond to him. Experience the salvation he offers and live in the newness of life that Christ blesses all who trust him with. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege of being able to see the work that your Son, Jesus Christ, has accomplished on our behalf. We thank you for all the things that your word reveals, and we know, Lord, that you're using your word to point us to your Son so that our faith in him will be genuine, sincere, and real, so that our sin will be forgiven, so that we can walk in the newness of life as we have transformed hearts and transformed minds through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for accomplishing these things on our behalf, and thank you for all of the things that you teach us from your word in regard to your nature and your ministry toward us. We commit ourselves to you today, and we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com. We have a bunch of stuff over there that we hope that you'll make use of, our blog, our newsletter sign-up is over there. We also have a bunch of books and devotional resources. It's all available on the website, desirejesus.com. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care.
A powerful prayer life does not require hiking a mountain to be able to hear from God. God can meet us right in the middle of our busy lives to help, guide, and speak to us through prayer. I'm Christina Patterson, host of the Teach Us to Pray podcast, providing practical teaching and encouragement on how you can make prayer a natural and consistent part of your everyday life. I promise it won't require hiking a mountain, but you just might develop the faith to move one. Listen and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.